After a rough month on the offensive side of the ball, the Seahawks erupted in the second half to pick up a 29-26 win over the Commanders. What does that mean for their offense moving into the final eight games of the season? Rob Rang and I'll be breaking it all down in our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to have back in the saddle after missing yesterday's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Forks, Washington, or in the land of Joe Dirt in Silver City, New Mexico. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's going to be a jam-packed Tuesday episode. As always, we've got our Tell the Truth Tuesday wisdom. Rob, it's going to be especially important for you since you didn't get to participate in Monday Musings yesterday. And we'll take a look behind enemy lines, a familiar opponent the first time this year. The Seahawks will face an NFC West rival for a rematch. We'll be taking a look at the Rams, where things stand on offense and defense. This episode is brought your way by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase the Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks were in a bit of a slump on offense in three of their past four games, 20 or fewer points, including scoring just three in a blowout loss to the Baltimore Ravens. What ailed the Seahawks seemed to be cured a little bit against the Washington Commanders this Sunday. Well over 450 yards of total offense. Geno Smith for over 360 passing yards. The run game found some traction. They put 29 points to the board to get a three-point win over a Commanders team that has plenty of firepower on offense themselves looking at this football team Pete Carroll was asked where where are you at as far as being satisfied with the balance that you have on this offense with over 120 rushing yards getting the passing game going and he had this to say on Monday the day after the win against the commanders it just gives us just gives us more information more more balance it helps the the rest of our our game you know, we talked about it today in our meetings, how important it is to be able to run the football and how it affects so many other aspects of, of your play. And, and uh, so, you know, we're, it, we, ain't, we ain't three yards in a cloud of dust. We just want balance as best we can get to it. And, and uh, that balance doesn't even mean 50-50 all the time. It just means that it, it, the complements really work together to strengthen the other aspect of the game. No, no I'm still working on it. It's still a work in progress. That was the key thing. I had to make sure to include that answer from a question was a follow-up. Are you satisfied with where the offense is at? And Pete Carroll made it clear, I'm still working on it, trying to find that right balance between the run game and the passing game. So there's plenty to be encouraged about coming out of this game against the commanders. With that being said, this is not a good Washington defense. So they were expected to be able to put points on the board and pick up a bunch of yards. It took a little while for them to really get things rolling and as Carroll emphasized there, this is still an area that they feel like they've got room to grow. And, and I think that he was hinting at, hey, the run game is still not quite where I want it to be in terms of how we're using it, the way that we are using that run game to impact the passing game in a positive manner. So clearly, Rob, at this stage, 
it's a it's a big game for the Seahawks to go out and get 29 points. At the same time, you have to wonder just how close this offense really is coming out of this game to rounding back into the form we expected going into the season. Well, I think there was an awful lot of encouraging signs, Corbin, especially over the second half of that football game. As you mentioned, there are 493 total yards in this game. That's a season high. I, I was most excited about the fact that there was so much yardage after the catch uh, for Seattle's top three wide receivers. We know who they are. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, as well as Kenneth Walker. Speaking of Kenneth Walker, you, you, you mentioned the running game, and anybody who is watching on YouTube, thank you as always. You can see 120 rushing yards there as well as the 258 yards after the catch it's the 120 rushing yards that i was most excited about um, just because of the fact that washington did trade their best pass rushers but we talked a lot in the pregame uh, about the the fact that they had the two big defensive tackles uh this is a team uh, in deron Payne and uh in jonathan allen um and we knew that that was going to give seattle some credit some trouble we knew that washington's head coach ron rivera was very much as a former linebacker himself was very much going to focus on trying to eliminate Seattle's running game. Um, and and then for the most part, they were able to do so, holding Seattle to less than four yards per carry, kept the Seahawks out of the end zone in terms of the running game. But still, I love the way that the Seahawks adjusted their offense. There were some creative formations that they used. I'll get into that a little bit more later. But I like the way that they use their wide receivers, the way that they align them. I like the way that they use their running backs out of the backfield. Five catches for, I believe it was six 65 yards, or excuse me, more than that, because the 64-yard reception uh, by Kenneth Walker for the touchdown. So I believe it was five catches for 80 yards overall between Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Obviously, some some big catches down the stretch by Charbonnet. So I just really thought that this was a game that illustrated that, that Seattle's offense is kind of on the upswing. Sure, Washington is not the Baltimore Ravens' defense, but still, given the fact that Washington held the Seahawks to only nine points over the first half for the Seattle to get on track in the second half to get 20 points as you pointed out a moment ago in their past three games that's all they had accumulated over the entire game to get that over the last 30 minutes against a quality football team again I think that it bodes well for the future you're excited about the run game and it's odd because everybody who listens to this show regularly knows where I stand when it comes to running the football I, I am a running back connoisseur and yet I was most excited about the after the catch numbers in large part because going back and watching the film, we talked about this last Tuesday, how frustrating it was revisiting that Ravens game and the number of snaps where Seattle was passing the ball and there was nobody running routes between the hash marks. It was just incredible watching how Seattle just neglected the middle of the field. Shane Waldron took that miscue to heart, and this week he was attacking Washington's linebackers, particularly with Jackson Smith and Jigba. It was Really exciting to see him run several crossing routes. They got Lockett going on some crossers in the intermediate level of the defense. They got some big plays off it. Smith and Jigba had a 21-yard catch on their opening series where he was able to get by the linebacker on a short crosser and then picked up a bunch of yards after the catch. And so seeing Seattle manufacture yardage after the catch, Smith and Jigba had a screen that went for 11 of that drive. I mean, what world are we living in right now? This is like the third week in a row the Seahawks have had a good play on a receiver screen. They even had a 16-yard gain on a tight end screen in this game. So 
there's reason to be really excited about that aspect, that you saw Shane Waldron lean more on plays that were going to help manufacture that yardage. And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, putting him where he's at his best when you are getting him on those crossing routes, where you're getting him in the middle of the field, he can create when the football is in his hands. And so that was encouraging to me. On the other side, the reason why I'm still – I'm not going to say I'm skeptical. I think that this offense can still be one of the best in the NFL, and I was very encouraged by what I saw from Geno Smith towards the end of the game, the way that he was firing the ball over the place. I really do believe Ken Walker the third's catch and run really took a lot of weight off Geno Smith's shoulders, just being able to have that big play. He just seemed like he was playing looser, more confident after that. That being said, with the run game, I still have some reservations. It's not because of the guys in the backfield – Though Ken Walker III got back into that bounce-happy mode for large chunks of that game on Sunday, that gets a little bit frustrating. But for me, it's trying to figure out how can we still get more carries for Charbonnet and more carries for Walker. There still feels like there's a lot being left on the table by Shane Waldron in this offense. And this is a game where the passing game, they needed to lean on it because this is a bad pass defense for Washington. But I still would like to see a little bit more of that run game. And I think that's what Pete Carroll was hinting at there in his comments there on Monday. So you and I are in agreement. There's reason to be optimistic. I just, I'm looking at the yards after catch. That's a bigger deal. Can Shane Waldron continue to build off that? That's got to be the hope because that has been an area where this team has not been consistent in terms of play calling to set up their guys. And that's going to be big for this team, especially in a year where offenses are down. We're seeing teams like the Buffalo Bills fire their offensive coordinator offenses down around the league. And so everybody's under the microscope right now, but can Shane Waldron have the right plays to get these guys the football? As you mentioned, the formations were more creative in this game. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that more as we rock and roll on this Tuesday episode, but certainly it was encouraging. Are they going to round into form? We'll find out when they play some better teams here in upcoming weeks. Coming up next, Rob and I are going to be dishing out our Tell the Truth Tuesday thoughts of wisdom coming out of Sunday's game and looking towards the rematch against the Rams coming up next Sunday at SoFi Stadium. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by Jace Medical. We spend a lot of time talking together here on the podcast. We get fired up together on wins and losses, who starts, who sits. I'm thankful for the connection we have. And today, I want our chat to be a little more personal. Whether you're on extended travel, bracing for major weather events, or limited by yet another supply shortage, you are covered. Thanks to our partners at Jace Medical, life-saving antibiotics and a long list of daily medications can be ordered in one-year supply. Cialis and Viagra as well. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use promo code locked on at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about Jace. I am thankful for this service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year supply. I also ordered an antibiotic kit. I feel secured out. Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone you love would love to get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use the promo code Locked On for $20 off your purchase. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're already going to be to match up Wednesday tomorrow. 
some familiar matchups, and of course, some different names as well in the middle of the season. A rematch coming up between the Seahawks and the Rams. You won't want to miss it. Make sure that you are listening into that show live at 5 p.m. Pacific time. It's time for Tell the Truth Tuesday, dishing out some words of wisdom coming out of Sunday's win over the Commanders and looking forward towards this weekend against the Rams and really the final eight games, the closing stretch run coming up. Rob, you normally would have had a chance to get some of your thoughts off your chest on our Monday musings, but unfortunately we're not on the show yesterday. So I'm sure you have a lot to talk about coming out of this win over the Commanders. Yeah, I appreciate that, Corbin. I'm going to kind of steal the mic here for a moment and just rattle off through a couple of my initial thoughts in watching the tape. Um, you know, first off, I, I do, again, want to reiterate how impressed I was with the Seahawks offense getting rolling in the second half because, frankly, on defense, there were so damn many missed tackles. I don't know how the Seahawks were able to win this football game. I, I counted three by Jamal Adams. I counted three by Jordan Brooks. I counted 12 overall by the Seahawks. You know, just the, the missed tackles on Brian Robinson's first touchdown and then the second big play that he had they made Sam Howell look like the second coming of Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick with the way that he was able to elude pressure and then just kind of dump off these quick little passes to be able to make big plays including again another uh immaculate touchdown throw uh you know the, the very end of the game that really gave Washington a chance to come into Seattle and steal the football game so again the missed tackles to me especially considering the fact that you're talking about uh you know one of the highest paid safeties in all of the NFL history in Jamal Adams, a former first-round pick in Jordan Brooks, who, of course, is recovering from injury, as is Jamal Adams. But still, at this point in the season, you are expecting more. The you know the, the golden child, uh, Devin Witherspoon, had a missed tackle. Tariq Woolen had a couple of plays that I would characterize at least as missed tackles in this football game. If the Seahawks are going to continue to rack up these Ws, they're going to have to be able to shore up the tackling on the defensive side of the ball. But rather than just kind of switch back over here, I think that Washington uh, deserves some, uh, you know, a little bit of, of a stain to their name, so to speak, in terms of uh, the, their missed tackles in the open field. And that's one of the reasons why that Seattle was able to, to create as much yardage after the catch as they did. But there wasn't as many missed tackles on Washington's side. And I think that Shane Walter deserves an awful lot of credit. Geno Smith deserves an awful lot of credit. DK Metcalf and, uh, you know, and certainly Jason Myers. We'll get into that in a moment here as well. I really thought that the Seahawks did an excellent job of using formations to create some yards after the catch situations for their wide receivers in particular. Um, as you mentioned in the, in the first segment here, JSN and, and uh, you know, there was a couple of, of different drag routes and, and some crossing patterns in which he was able to show off his quickness. He was able to show off that the body control, be able to snatch footballs out of the air. DK Metcalf certainly was able to demonstrate his just brute strength. Um, you know, obviously in the, in the fourth quarter stretch there to, to get the game winning field goal, that was terrific. You again highlighted the, the, the fact that there's some screens that worked very effectively for JSN, for Will Disley, Seattle's slowest tight end, gets a 16-yard uh, tight end screen. I mean, again, that's a talent – that, that's recognizing the talent of your team, and that certainly is a uh, you know a testament to the Seahawks' pass catchers. But it also very much is a testament to the play caller, the play designer. I think that Shane Waldron deserves a lot of credit for this victory as well. 
it's easy to look at the three star receivers. This was the best game that those three have had together so far this year. Uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, almost 100 yards. You had a big game from Jackson Smith and Jigba as well, especially early. He was getting a lot of looks from Geno Smith, had that screenplay, the 21 yard catch on the crosser. It's easy to look at those guys. They are the stars, they're the flashy ones. But I want to go back to the trenches, and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We now know Pete Carroll's confirmed it. Abraham Lucas is practicing on Wednesday. So does that mean he's going to play this weekend? We don't know. But my argument would be don't rush him back. Make sure he is 100% ready. And I'm more confident saying that after watching the way that Jason Peters played on Sunday. And I thought he played really well when we were talking to the postgame show Sunday, Rob. I thought he had a great game. And then I went back and I watched the All-22 and it hit me like, this was a 2010 Jason Peters game. Like I had to look back at the clock. It was like Jumanji. What year is it? I couldn't figure out what I was watching because the movement skills at 41 years of age, just to put this in perspective for our listeners, Rob, Jason Peters is only the second offensive lineman in NFL history to play 19 or more seasons in the league. Bruce Matthews, the legendary hall of famer is the only other one that did it. So we are talking about, very rare air here that Jason Peters is in. And to play the way that he did the other day, only one pressure on 34 pass protection reps, and he was that good. You go back and watch the tape, like guys weren't getting anywhere near Geno Smith. He was stonewalling, whether it was speed rushes, power rushes, he was dominant in pass protection. And yet I would argue he was even better in the run game. He took two guys. Nick and I were talking about this Sunday. We didn't know for sure if it really played out that way. I went back and watched the All-22. The fourth down and one run, Charbonne had got seven yards on. Jason Peters had his left hand on a defensive tackle and his right hand on a blitzing linebacker, and he blocked both of them to open up a crease. And then there were two other 10-yard runs by Charbonnet that who made the key block in those plays? Jason Peters, the godfather, has still got it. And oh, by the way, Will Disley should be thanking him on that screenplay because he was driving a defender downfield on that 16-yard screen. He was impressive in every way, shape, or form in that game. That looked like Jason Peters from 15 years ago. It was incredible to watch. And he's out of practice squad elevations now, but you've got to find a way to get him on your 53-man roster, whether Lucas is healthy or not. He should be on the roster the rest of the season with the way he played the other day. And Really, that gives me confidence. If Lucas can't play against the Rams, all right, we can put Jason Peters in the lineup and we're going to be okay. But that was an impressive outing by him. No, it absolutely was. And I think that the level of competition is something to take into account here. I mean, again, Washington trade away their top pass rushers. But you said it, Corbin. It was the the change of direction is the body control for a man who's 40 years old is just exceptional. And, and so uh, they could have had better pass rushers. I still think that you would have seen as Jason Peters is kind of getting himself into shape, uh, you know, and just kind of getting a little bit more acclimated with the way that Seattle is calling plays, that uh, that you are seeing that, you know, that he is bound for Canton at some point so very encouraging signs from him and and i think that that's one of the biggest things that uh that led to seattle having the success on offense that they had i mean they gave up one sack in this game uh they had zero turnovers in this game and geno smith continues to show that uh you know when the lights are brightest when it's the fourth quarter when it's two minutes to go in the game there is no quarterback who has had the success that he has i mean the man just has ice water in his veins and again a big part of that is because he had clear pass protection 
in this football game. And obviously he has dynamic talent at the running back, wide receiver, and tight end positions. But still, you got it. For all the criticism that Geno Smith has had, I mean, it's only a week or two ago that people were saying, oh, the man should be benched. You know, and but there was an awful lot of fans out there who were chatting Geno at the end of that football game with the way that he calmly, coolly drove the Seahawks down the field. And then again, all the criticism that DK Metcalf has had, the way that he put the team on his shoulders at times, especially in the last two minutes of that football game, and was the superstar that you, the Seahawks expect him to be. And then finally, Jason Myers. We just kind of, you know, oh, by the way, on special teams players, but making those five field goals, especially the game winner with the clock going down, for him to have that type of poise. I mean, you mentioned the, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, getting fired. I mean, part of that was because of some of the special teams snafus that the Buffalo Bills had. Obviously, he's the offensive coordinator, but still, the fact that they lost that game due to some of the miscues, and we've seen an awful lot of missed PATs, an awful lot of chip shot field goals that have been missed. Jason P Jason Myers, excuse me, was nails in this football game, and obviously one of the biggest reasons why the Seahawks won the football game. Now I'm wanting to see Jason Peters kick a field goal with you saying that just to see what happened. If he could do that, then truly the 41-year-old can do it all. I want to finish this segment real quick off. A thought that I have on defense because I'm in full agreement with you on the missed tackles. I've been talking about it for months because I just still feel like Seattle, they've changed things up in training camp and not in a way that's a good way to me in terms of how they manage their tackling. They just aren't prepared when the season starts. And this has been a persistent issue for several years running now. But I want to talk about something that jumped out to me as a positive. And I know Draymond Jones was in coverage on that second 48-yard catch by Brian Robinson. It's, it's a defensive lineman. You know, when you end up in situations like that, most of the time the offense is going to win. That's not where Draymond Jones is at his best. But seeing him play off the edge, my argument here would be, Rob, that Draymond is the answer to the Uchenna Nuosu problem. It's not Frank Clark. It's not Daryl Taylor. Though I thought Daryl Taylor actually made a couple of nice plays against the run on Sunday, which shocked me. We haven't seen that very much. But Draymond Jones has played a lot off the edge earlier in his career in Denver. At 280 pounds, he has the athleticism to do it. He looks comfortable and fluid when he's in a two-point stance. So if you're looking for somebody that can help you run defense, that can play more off the edge, Pete Carroll's made it clear they're going to be doing that. And with good reason, because they need another bigger body guy that can play that edge position that can hold up against the run. They've had their issues with depth ever since Nuosu got hurt in that regard. And that opens things up for you to be able to mix in Frank Clark and Daryl Taylor getting after the quarterback as secondary pass rushers. So I really think he is the solution, the in-house solution for them to be able to address that issue they've had run defense-wise since Nuosu got hurt. You've got Leonard Williams now to go with Mario Edwards and Jaron Reed in the middle. You don't have to play him a ton of snaps inside. So I think this is a win-win for the player and for the team. Up next, we're going to go behind the curtain and look at the Rams, a rematch coming up at SoFi Stadium. The Seahawks still upset about the way that game went down in week one at home against their division rivals. What should we expect from the Rams heading into this game on offense and defense? Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks which is brought your way by our friends at FanDuel. Get ready for week 11 in the NFL with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options. You can look at spreads, such as the Seahawks against the Rams this weekend, 
at SoFi. Player props, such as Defensive Rookie of the Year. Is it going to be Devin Witherspoon or Jalen Carter? Over-unders and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash on and enjoy the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Let's shift gears now, Rob. We just had a chance to dish out our Tell the Truth Tuesday wisdom. It's time to now look forward. We've talked about the Commanders game. That game is in the past, just like the Ravens game was in the past. Obviously, a much more joyful one to turn the page from this week. But this is a game coming up that is massive for the Seahawks. They already lost the Rams in week one. If they can get to seven and three, they're pretty close to already clinching a playoff spot with how weak the bottom of the NFC is. They're already at an 80-plus percent odds to make the postseason. So this is a crucial game. And at the same time, as we know from week one, Matthew Stafford's going to be back healthy this week for the Rams. So they're going to be looking to get that fourth win and keep themselves in the peripheral for one of those last wildcard spots. So this is a game that nobody should be sleeping on, especially since the Rams already beat the Seahawks with a high-powered offense in week one. A high-powered offense that didn't even have Cooper Cup. I mean, that to me is the huge story here. I mean, this is, again, I mean, you know, for for so long now, it's been every time you have a conversation about the Los Angeles Rams, then you you talk about Aaron Donald. Then, of course, he was on the field uh, in in that game one loser. Um, And I say loser because the Seahawks, of course, were ahead at halftime and then just completely stumbled in third and fourth quarter. One of the more shocking developments I've seen in all of the years I've been following Seahawks football just because of the how well. Well, the Seahawks looked prepared in the first half. And then what happened in the second half? Puka Nakua has become arguably the offensive rookie of the year so far this season, in large part because of just how well he started the season off. To me, that has been one of the interesting developments, though, is that as Cooper Cup has got back onto the field, then Puka Nakua has not necessarily slid off. He has still absolutely been one of Matthew Stafford's most most, uh, reliable targets. And so now you're talking talking about a team in the LA Rams that have two legitimate stars uh, on the outside. Neither one of them has exceptional speed, but they both have terrific hands, terrific body control and are tough. And so again, as we talked about, if the Seahawks struggle in terms of the missed tackles, the way that they did against Washington, then I do think that you are going to see the LA Rams are going to want to just continue to test that Seattle secondary with a very aggressive play calling, very aggressive Matthew Stafford, who has been impressive so far this season but as you mentioned he is coming off of the injury that's going to be something that the Seahawks have to try to to attack yeah speaking of attack as you mentioned with the receiving talent the Rams have this is a team that ranks 10th right now in the league in air yards for a reason Matthew Stafford still has a big arm when he's healthy and with all the weapons they've got they've also got Tutu Atwell who had a big game against the Seahawks in week one and he's their burner he's their speed guy so those three weapons on the outside This is a team that is going to test you vertically. You know that they're going to be trying to do that. Now, the difference for the Seahawks, they did not have Devin Witherspoon on the field in week one. So that is something that should help significantly dealing with Cooper Cup and Puba Nakua, having Witherspoon out there with what we've seen him do since he made his debut in week two. But he did not play in that first game. 
He's going to get tested. Reek Woolen and Trey Brown are going to get tested on the outside because this is a team. They run a lot of those deeper crossers. They're going to take some of their shots, pick and choose vertically, but they're near the top of the league in explosive pass plays as well in the top six. So you should expect that this team is going to find a way, whether it's after the catch or vertically, they are going to find a way to take their shot plays against you and get those chunk plays. The Seahawks have to find a way to neutralize that as much as they can, especially considering you know what they're going to do with their 11 personnel, but this is a case where you know X's and O's or uh, the pros and the Joes on the outside, they've got the studs. They've got the pros on the outside, and Sean McVay's had so much success with these guys that the Seahawks have to be fully prepared or this team is going to do what they did in week one to you, and they're going to get a bunch of big plays and have a chance to beat you for a second time this year. Yeah, but I do think that a little bit of it is some smoke and mirrors. The L.A. Rams scored 30 again in that stunning Seahawks loss in week one, but they have not got to 30 points since that time. They've lost three straight games. Um, you know, now they are coming off of a bye, um, and Sean McVay is just that damn good, you know, and, and so the Seahawks do have to take this game absolutely seriously um, because, again, that, that's the L.A. Rams have to do it. If they're going to save their season, then they are going to have to win this football game. So this feels like a little bit of a desperation game for the Rams and they are dangerous when it's a desperation game and again to me what this really comes down to is can Seattle slow down yeah I'm happy that you mentioned Tutu Atwell because he has the speed that Seattle can do everything that they want to do and Atwell can still change everything for you but again it's been a Cooper Cup show for so long now you got to slow him down you got to slow Puka Nakua down if you can do that and supply a little bit more pressure I think this is an awesome game for Boye Mafe potentially to be able to extend his, uh, you know, now franchise record seven games in a row with the sack, get that eighth one against Matthew Stafford in LA. There's not going to have a, a, you know, a bigger, uh, you know, environment than SoFi Stadium. That to me is what's going to be critical for Seattle to pull off this victory. I don't have the raw stats in front of me, but it does feel like since SoFi opened that the Seahawks have been tougher against the Rams when they've been on the road, which is odd to say. But, I mean, they had the playoff loss at home in 2020. They had the loss in week one. And we saw them last year going, and that was without a bunch of players. Stafford was injured, but still, they won at SoFi. They gave them a tougher game in 2021 on the road than they did at home. So I'm really curious to see what this looks like defensively for Seattle with Devin Witherspoon. And, of course, when you're on offense, if you're the Seahawks, you have to highlight number 99. He is still one of the elite players in the NFL, one of the very best game wreckers the game has ever seen. But you also have to look at the rest of this defense. We came into the season, we knew they were going to have a lot of new faces, and yet Seattle, the second half of that game, week one, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't get first downs. This has been a defense, though, since that season opener. They have gradually shown more and more cracks. And you can see it in the stats. They have given up 55 explosive plays this year, which is in the top eight in the NFL. You can get big runs on this team. You can get big plays in the passing game. They're not in the top five in either one of them, but they're in the top 15 in both. So this has been a defense that's been generous, giving up big plays both in the passing and run game. And you look at the way they're playing defense schematically, Rob, it it's changed up a little bit because of all the defections that they've had. This is a team that's running a lot more of their two deep stuff 
They are near the top of the league in cover four and cover six usage. And they've also had to mix in a lot of sim pressures. And what that means for our listeners that haven't heard of that term, it means they're still sending only four guys, but they're sending somebody from the second level. They're dropping a player from the defensive line back. So they're simulating pressure, even though they're not sending extra guys. The Rams are in the top five five in sim pressures this year so they're going to be trying to disguise they're in the top of the league and disguising their coverages there's a reason they're doing that much disguising because when they haven't been it hasn't been working for them defensively and they've had a lot of issues getting off the field and slowing down opponents this Seahawks team has got to find a way to take advantage of that unlike the second half in that season opener this is not a defense that has a lot of talent at all three levels with the players they've lost you got to take advantage of that with all the skill players you have and attack this secondary, attack their linebackers. And if you can do that, you got a chance to put a lot of points on the board. You do. You're going to have to slow down Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald, and then Byron Young is the speed rusher on the outside. Uh, five sacks so far this season. Aaron Donald has five and a half. You can simulate all the pressure you want. Those two guys actually create pressure. You don't have to simulate anything. If the Seahawks want to stimulate their fans, they're going to have to be able to get this victory. And again, on the defensive side of the ball, the easiest way of doing that is slowing down the Rams' two defensive linemen. Aaron Donald, obviously, but the rookie Byron Young is a legitimate force as well. Yeah, Young has been one of their bright spots for the newcomers, but you have seen all those changes again. Week one is always the toughest one to calculate to start a season off, but this has been a defense that is, as the year has gone on, they have gradually gotten worse. And as teams have gotten more film, they've been able to attack some of these new guys. You're hoping that Shane Waldron can do that now that you've had half a season worth of film that you can say, okay, we know what this guy that wasn't a starter at the beginning of the year, we didn't know much about it, but now we've got all this game film. You're hoping you can see what other teams did to attack this defense that really hasn't had an identity this year with all the disguising they've been doing. They're just trying to figure out what they're good at and it hasn't necessarily come together, but it's a divisional matchup. We've seen this all year round. The commanders giving the Eagles fits twice. These divisional games are always really interesting. The Browns beating the Ravens last weekend. The Seahawks cannot take the Rams lightly at all going into this game. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We'll have our latest Matchup Wednesday installment coming tomorrow. Seahawks, Rams, the key matchups. Everybody knows about blocking number 99. But what are the other key matchups to watch? going into this rematch at SoFi Stadium. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.